Grateful to see so many here this morning. Grateful for each one who's joining us on the live stream. It's such an awesome day to be able to worship the Lord together. It was a long time ago, but in 606 BC, the mighty Babylonian Empire came against, besieged, overcame, and ransacked Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, to Azariah Abednego. Daniel, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 and 6 and 7. I want you to think about for a minute what these young men had heard and seen at his hand. Remember, they were captives. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had come in and he had destroyed Jerusalem. Now, in the merciless onslaught of Jerusalem, hadn't totally destroyed it, but he'd come in and taken captives and had people killed, maybe their own parents for all we know. Maybe they saw their own houses burned to the ground, who knows. We do know that he was merciless and came in as the superior power, and they knew the power that he had to take lives. They had seen it firsthand in his coming into their native land and besieging and killing and taking them captive. In Daniel chapter 2, they once again saw Nebuchadnezzar's ability, his impulsiveness to just take life on a whim. They saw his ruthlessness for those who displeased him, put on full display when he commanded that all of the wise men of Babylon be put to death just like that, because they could not answer a question, a question which was impossible to answer. There was no human possible way to answer the question he posed, and when they couldn't answer it, he said, okay, kill them all. They started killing them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they saw, they knew, they knew he had the power to just say kill them, and that was it, it was over. These were some of the first-hand, up-close, and personal experiences that they had had with this man, with this king. You didn't cross him or you died. It was pretty much that simple. And you know, you've you got to have that background in mind. And, and when you keep that background in mind, it makes their statement in Daniel chapter 3 all the more amazing. We often talk about Daniel chapter 3, and, and we teach it in Bible class and all that, but we, we fail to... We fail to establish the background. I mean, these three, four, these four men were given to the chief of the eunuchs. They were probably made eunuchs themselves. They had seen the ruthlessness of this king. He didn't care about anybody else. He could do anything he wanted, anytime, to anybody. He was king. 
When you take all of that and you consider the events of Daniel chapter 3, it puts a whole new power behind their statement. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we know the story well. King Nebuchadnezzar decides he's going to build this giant golden statue and that everybody's going to bow down to it because after all, he's king. You'll kill him if they don't. It's pretty simple. In verse 13, we're going to read where he learns that these three aren't going to do it. They're just not going to. Can you imagine that? After all they had seen at his hand, they said, nope. Knowing what he was capable of. Look at verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king and he spoke and said, is it true? Uh, you know, you'd almost like to have been there to have heard his voice and seen his body language. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what I'm capable of. Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which, which I have set up? The implication to me at least being, you saw what I did to, to you know, the city of David, the city of you know, your God, you, you saw what I did. Now if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you fall down, worship the image I've made, good! But if you do not, you will be cast immediately. There's not going to be a trial here, folks. There's not going to be a lawyer. You will be cast immediately into the fiery furnace. What God is there who's able to deliver you out of my hands? Your God didn't save Jerusalem. Your God didn't save you. What God is there? Did you ever go through a lot of things in your Christianity? Made you struggle with your faith? Then you come to this point where you're given the option again to trust God or not. And sometimes in our human weakness, I think we can look back and say, well, I don't know that God necessarily helped me there. And, and you can begin to struggle. God, where have you been? And, and you face this next trial, this next conflict, and, and you're kind of teetering a little bit. These guys didn't teeter even after all they had seen. Look what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Notice, notice, don't miss this. We have no need to answer you. What was he just going to put the wise men to death for in chapter 2? Because they wouldn't answer him. Don't miss that. They couldn't answer his question. So they said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You know, I think if Nebuchadnezzar was one of those that had like the little blood vein up here. It would have started to throb about this point. You know, you could just see his, you know, blood pressure rising, as it were. They said, we, we don't need to answer you. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, don't, I, I've got that both highlighted and underlined in my Bible. Our God, whom we serve, do you see? They're still serving God despite the fact that their homeland has been ransacked, despite the fact that they have been taken captive, despite the fact that they have, have become eunuchs, despite all of that, what did they say? Our God, not whom we used to serve, whom we serve. What a statement of faith. Is able to deliver us Based on what, boys? He didn't save you in Jerusalem. We know our God. Based on what? You're still captives. We know our God. Our God, whom we serve. I love this verse.
is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. There was nothing physical to say that was going to happen. Nothing. There wasn't some big uh, cavalry around them. There wasn't somebody come rushing in. There was nothing on earth. So they were walking by faith and not by sight. They said, he's able. But the next verse says, but if not, if he doesn't save us, let it be known to you, O king, we'll not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image you've set up. You know what? We're going to trust God even if we die. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? I want that kind of faith, don't you? That's the kind of faith I want. Even if he doesn't rescue us, we're not doing it your way. We're doing it his way. I, can I just say that about 20 times over and over for the next hour and we'll just stay right here? I mean, that is just so awesome. Well, we know what happened. They were cast into the fire, fourth man down there, like a son of the gods, according to King Nebuchadnezzar. They come out and remember, they didn't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and he understood that their God was what? Their God was able. The question this morning, is your God able? The title of the sermon this morning, God is able. And it's right here from this text. Do you know how many times that statement is in the New Testament? Do you rely on, in your faith, that statement in the New Testament, God is able? This morning, what I want to do is I want us to take a look at some of the incredibly beautiful, powerful, awesome places in Scripture. Some of the promises in the New Testament that relate to us as Christians revolving around the fact, the biblical black and white fact, that no matter, brethren get this, no matter what the threat, the problem, or the circumstance, our God is able. Always. Let's take a look at a few of them. We'll just kind of go up through them here in order. Turn to me to John 10. We'll make a few remarks about each one as we move on this morning. John 10. Jesus speaking here about shepherds and the sheep and all of that. And, and he gets to a section of scripture that some take to mean that you can't fall from grace, but that's not at all what it means. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's an awesome statement. I, thank you. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now, some people, before I continue, some people take that and say, once saved, always saved, can't fall from grace. That's not at all what that says. Nobody will be able to snatch any of his disciples out of God's hand who, verse 27, hear his voice and follow him. Listen, if you hear his voice and follow him, are you safe if you follow him? That's what he's talking about. He said, those who hear my voice, listen to it, follow me, they can't be snatched. And they can't. Can we jump out of God's hand by not listening to him? Uh-huh. But then he says this, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able. That's kind of a reverse of our original thought. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Nobody is able to take you out of God's hand. Nobody. Nobody. Satan himself can't do it unless you allow him to. Now you can allow other people to, 
But if you want to stay in God's hand and you want to listen to God and you want to follow God and you want to stay with God, nobody's able to snatch you out of his hand. Isn't that awesome? Why is no one else able to snatch you? Because God is able to keep you. He is able to keep you. Look in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 26. Again, familiar text. Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. In Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 26. He says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You want to be innocent of the blood of all men? Teach the total word. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Because I know this, after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He said to the elders, he said, look, I know that after I leave here, there's going to be people come in from the outside and they are going to seek to tear the flock apart. He said, I know from among your own selves there are going to be men rising up to draw away disciples after themselves. And he said, that's why I've, I've preached to you for all these years. And then he says in verse 32, but I commend you too. I give you to God in the word of his grace. Listen, is the word of God able to keep you safe? Isn't that what it says right there? I commend you to the word of God, which is able. Beautiful text. The word of God, no matter what comes, is able to build us up and give us an inheritance in heaven. I love the word of God. Romans chapter 16. Please turn there. We keep seeing this able, this able. God is able. His word is able. No one is able to stand against him. Romans chapter 16, Paul closes his epistle to the Church of Christ in first century Rome with these words. Romans chapter 16, beginning at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of God, commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith. Paul says in verse 25, God is able to establish you according to this gospel, according to the obedience of the faith. Paul's been talking about the obedience of the faith right from the get-go in chapter 1. He said the reason he was writing to them was because of this obedience of the faith. Romans 6 talks about our obedient response to the gospel in faith by being baptized. He said, this is the gospel. And listen, if you obey that gospel and the preaching of Jesus, God is able to establish you, your name, written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God is able if you will just accept that and be obedient to the gospel. In Philippians chapter 3, look what we find there. Oh, God is able. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. 
Look what it says. Paul writing to our brethren in Church of Christ in first century Philippi says this. Brethren, first, uh, Philippians 3.17, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern from any walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. He said, I I'm so saddened by all of this. They set their mind on earthly things. But us, for our, verse 20, citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able. I've known a brethren who passed away. They've gotten older and their bodies hurt and they're crippled up. You know what? It's gonna be a wonderful thing to get to heaven where those things don't exist, ain't it? To get those glorious new bodies, Jesus is able to subdue all things to himself. He is able to give those whose citizenship is in heaven. He is able to give those who do not set their mind on earthly things, but set their mind on things above where he is, Colossians 3.1. He is able to transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And it's not just it will be done with physical pain, but we'll have a body like his, a resurrected body. He is able to do that. Our, our God is so able. He himself has suffered being tempted so that he is able to come to us when we are tempted. Isn't that awesome? That's Hebrews 2.18, by the way. Hebrews 2.18 again says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Aren't you grateful that he is able? When you are tempted, not only is he able to come to your aid, but if we know that Hebrews 4 goes on to say, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, so let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. So let us come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Aren't you grateful that he is able? The question this morning, the question, you don't need to, this is one of those times that you don't need to do this, yes or no, okay? Do we really, truly, honestly understand, accept, believe, trust, and live with all of our heart, souls, minds, and strength that he is able. Do we really live with that? He is able. Do we really trust that? Do we really believe it? Do we really accept I mean, it's throughout scripture from Daniel chapter 3. We've read a bunch of them. I spent a lot of time this morning. He, he is able, but do we really live that? We say, yeah, I can see it. I can read it. It's right there. Yeah, I know it. But do we get out there and live it? My God is able to deal with this situation. Do we believe that? 
Do we trust it with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength that God is able, that our God is able to raise up children to Abraham from stones in a river? Do you believe that? Matthew 3 and verse 9 says that's the case. So does Luke 3 and verse 8. Do you live and believe and accept in your, your life every day that your God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, Jude 1.24? Do you really believe and accept that he's able to present you faultless how many times? How many times have I seen wonderful, faithful Christians? Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I hope I'm saved. They've done everything that God requires. Well, I, I don't know. You better know. If you don't know, then you don't trust him. That's a pretty strong statement. Yes, it is. Let me say it again. If you don't know, you don't trust him. What did he say? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Is that verse true or not? Is it true? Now you can do it. Yes, no. Now, I'm not talking about you can't fall from grace, but what I am talking about is if you're in the word and you're walking by faith and you're walking in the light and you've been baptized into Christ and you've repented and you're trying to serve God every day despite your mistakes, can you still be sure of your salvation? Can you? You better be. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to call the righteous, but to save what? Sinners. God is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless, Jude 1.24. Do you live every day believing, trusting, living the fact that your God is able to keep you, to carry you, to protect you, to strengthen you, to help you, despite your struggles and circumstances? Do you really believe that? Apostle Paul did. And you know, he believed it in a lot of different areas, but he also believed it especially when it came to evangelizing and to sharing the gospel with everybody he came in contact with. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1. Look at verses 8 through 12. He said, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. Verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 1, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. God didn't save us because we're good and deserve it but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Watch this. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I suffer these things. He said, the reason I'm suffering is because I'm preaching and teaching this. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, here it comes, that he is able to keep that which I've committed against him until that, that which I have committed to him against that day. Paul said, I don't care what I suffer. I don't care what I suffer for preaching the truth. It doesn't matter, because I know God is able. That's all that matters. 
As I preach and teach and seek to share the gospel, he said, I know God is able. Do you believe that? You know, we're beginning to talk a lot more now about sharing the gospel, about evangelizing again, about talking to everybody we come in contact with, like Paul did in this text, preaching and, and teaching. Our theme for this year, 2021, is one more than 2020. And so we're beginning to talk about these. Last Sunday night sermon, I shared with you that Brother Matt Wallen from House to House, Heart to Heart, and Alan Webster as well, let us know that last year there were 370 baptisms. Remember the slide? Remember? That came from House to House, Heart to Heart. They had more baptisms this year as a result of House to House, Heart to Heart than they have ever had. And they said the reason is people are looking. People are looking for the gospel in, in, in times with COVID and all of that. I talked with Brother Matt Wallen this past week, and I asked him, I said, is there going to be a door knocking campaign this year? Remember the door knocking campaign last year? 44, I think, was the number of us that went out that day. Remember that? I said, a uh, year before last, I said, is there going to be another one? He said, I believe we're going to. You know what? If there is, we need to see a lot more than 45 people ready to go knock doors for the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, when's it going to be? He said, September, October. I don't know. Mark your calendars. Blackout, September, and October. You're busy. You'll hit it right somewhere. This week's bulletin, and also in the announcements, it was announced that Rob Whitaker, Monday, uh, Sunday and Monday, March 27th and 28th, is going to be at the Coweta Church of Christ. Let me read this to you. Dear Shoto Hills Church of Christ, greetings from house to house, heart to heart in the Jacksonville Church of Christ. You're invited to a special event that we have planned in your area. On March 28th and 9th, we will host a free workshop for churches desiring to grow. Is that us or not? Do we desire to grow? Well, if we do, they're reaching out to us. The seminar will explain two established programs that are helping congregations grow by reaching the lost. Rob and Nicole Whitaker have been helping congregations grow for more than 20 years. Their method? simply studying the Bible with people. Well, there's a thought, right? We consider the Whitakers to be experts in evangelism, which is why we brought them to Jacksonville and house to house, heart to heart. For those of you that might not have known, Brother Alan Webster has moved on, the writer of all our tracks out here, and Rob Whitaker is now the evangelist for the Jacksonville Church of Christ, where house to house, heart to heart had originated. They move on. Evangelism cannot be outsourced to just the preacher or the elders. Soul winning must be personal to the members for a church to grow. During this seminar, Rob will share the proven ideas that individuals can use as well as a step-by-step -step church plan he has used to reach nearly 200 souls. The seminar will be hosted by the Kawita Church of Christ, but it's for all congregations within driving distance. The seminar will address questions like these, and this makes me want to just sit down and, 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 and pray. Listen to this. The seminar will, will address questions like these. We are losing over 100 congregations and 15,000 members each year. What can we, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Every year the churches of Christ are losing 100 congregations and approximately 15,000 souls. 15 comma zero, 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 not 100,000. What can we do? That's one question that will be answered. Most of our members would not, number two, most of our members would not be able to study the Bible with a friend if they were asked. 
Where do we start? That's a question that will be answered. Number three, our members are great, but they're not making evangelism personal. What can we say to encourage and equip them? Another question that will be answered. How do we reach the lost in our community? Bible class teachers, preachers, and elders from area churches are planning to join us, so it'd be a great day of fellowship. Bring as many of your soul winners and potential soul winners as you can. Let's train the saved to reach the lost. Is our God able to help us to reach the lost in Shoto? Is he or not? And it is events like this one that help us to be given the tools that we need. I want to spend the rest of the lesson looking at some Bible passages which include the phrase, God is able, specifically tying them to our personal evangelistic efforts. Begin with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Say, well, that's a strange place to talk about evangelism. Yeah, I know. But it's got the phrase in it, and we'll apply it. Don't worry about it. We truly will. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. As you're turning there, let me set the circumstance. There is a great multitude that is coming against God's people. And God's people fear this great multitude. And so they set themselves to seek the Lord. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning at verse 4, says, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that, here it comes, no one is able to withstand you. No one's able to withstand him because he is able to withstand all. And they realize that. And they're fearing this great multitude and, and what's going to come against them. Look at verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Verse 15. The prophet says, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, don't be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't have to do something. The battle was God's, but they still had to do something. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle, but they still had to do something. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed, but tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Was God able to give his people victory? Yes or no? Yes. Did God give his people victory? Yes. Is God able to give us victory in winning souls to him? I hope so. No, I don't hope so. I know so. Yes, he is. His ability, his ableness doesn't stop at evangelism. So knowing that God was able, what did they do? 
Well, first thing they did was sought him in prayer. What do we need to do if we're going to evangelize? First thing we need to do is talk to God about it. What was God's answer? Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Brethren, we are vastly outnumbered in this town, aren't we? About 2,100 members in Shoto, 2,100 people roughly in the town, and on the best of days, we're probably 140 members. Is that pretty good odds to be outnumbered? 140 to 2,100? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, we're vastly outnumbered. In the schools that you young folks attend, in the businesses that, other pe that we frequent, everywhere we go, we're in the minority. Yep, there's a great multitude out there that we're trying to get the gospel to. Some of them already have their own belief system. But God gave them victory here, didn't he? You can read the rest of the chapter when you get home, but you take my word for it now. Yes, he did. But here's the key. Here's, here's the total key. Would they have had that victory if they had not gone and positioned themselves where God said would they have had the victory? No, because God said, you go down there and do, if you go there and do this, I will do this, right? What did the total victory which God was both willing and able to give them depend on from them? Go. That's it. Two letters. Go. Go. Position yourselves. Do not fear or be dismayed. Just go. Go out. That's what he said. I just read it. Same as in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15. When the Israelites are getting ready to go through the Red Sea, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. What's God saying? And I brought this up before. God says, I'm ready. What are you crying to me for? You tell them to go. I'm ready. You just got to get them moving, and I'll take care of it. Here he says, you got to go. You got to position yourselves. And in the same way that they had total victory in 2 Chronicles 20, because they did go, Our willingness to go here in Shoto is going to determine whether or not we are victorious. What is the total victory that God is willing and able to give us here in Shoto depend on? Depends on us. Depends on whether or not we're willing to go with it. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We know what it says. First word, go, go, go. It only says it once. I said it three times. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, what? I am with you always. If God is with us, does it matter who's against us? If God is with us, is he still able to give us the victory when it comes to reaching lost souls? Is he still able? So what's the hang-up? Answer? It's not God. If we go prepared by prayer, armed with the word of God, and doing what he said, the battle is still God's. Don't, don't misunderstand. We sing that song, the battle belongs to the Lord, and it does. Listen, in 2 Chronicles 20, did the battle belong to the Lord? Did he win the battle? Yes. But they still had to go. They still had to position themselves. They still had to not fear. They still had to be where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to be doing, and God took care of the rest. When we go with prepared by prayer, the way they did, and we have our Bibles, the sword of the Spirit, and we try to reach out to people with that, armed with the word, doing what he said, the battle is still his, isn't it? What's going to convert them? It's going to be the word of God that converts them, right? If we convert them, we have a problem. 
If we convert them to us, we have a problem. If we convert them to the church, we have a problem. They need to be converted to Jesus Christ, period. And the word of God will do that. That's up to God. But we still need to go out and position ourselves and take it to them. And sometimes the reason the church fails is because we don't go. It's not because the seed isn't good. It's not because God's not willing to do his part. It's that we don't go. We've talked this morning about God being able. Listen to this. I know it's a little different context, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. It's a text that we usually use in reference to giving, but listen to what it says. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So that each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Does that also apply, even though it's written about money, does it apply to giving of ourselves as well? If we cheerfully give of ourselves, is God able to give us everything we need to give of ourselves? Yes, yes, yes he is. We must give of ourselves, we must give of our time, we must give of our effort, we must give and go. Let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. There should never be, don't get me wrong, I said a few minutes ago, we had 44 last year and we ought to have a whole lot more than that this year, but let me tell you what, if there's one person shows up that doesn't want to be there, they had not to be there. God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Man, we should be lining up right now. Lining up. Cheerfully, ready. Why? Because of the next verse. Don't miss the next verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you having all sufficiency in all things, does that include evangelism? All sufficiency in all things, does that include reaching out to people? Will God give us everything we need to reach them? Yes. So that we may have an abundance for every good work. God is not able, there's a contradiction for you, God is not able to do what you think he is. Oh, how dare I say that? Let me say it again just so that you really get the impact. God is not able to do what you think he is. God is able to do far above and beyond, exceedingly beyond what you ask or think. Don't limit yourself to God being able what you th to do what you think he can. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 3 that God is able. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. God is able to do so far much more than you can even think, ask, or imagine. Don't limit it to just what you think. Well, then why doesn't he? Um... Maybe because we're not living every day understanding that he is indeed able and making that the very centerpiece of our lives in every breath we take and everything we do. Maybe we just ain't going. When it comes to saving lost souls, there is perhaps no better text in all the scriptures than the one that will serve as our final text this morning, and that's in Jude. Just before the book of Revelation, would you please turn to Jude as we conclude? No, that poem was not planned. Jude chapter 1, verse 20. 
a threefold recipe or blueprint for the victory when it comes to winning lost souls is found right here. You want to know how it's done? You want a pattern? Here we go. Jude, verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, here it comes. Here's your pattern. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's number one. You have got to be built up on the faith. You have got to know about the faith once delivered for all the saints. You have got to be a part of that faith. You have got to know that faith. That's number one. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Number two, you've got to pray, just like they did back there in 2 Chronicles 20. You've got to pray about these efforts. You've got to pray about the lost. You've got to pray that you'll have the words. You've got to pray that the soil of their hearts is ready for the seed. And number three, keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't you ever, 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 ever allow yourself to lose sight of the love of God for you. Because if you don't understand, this is another thing. When we as Christians are not really sure if we're saved and we, we really don't know as God's love can, can forgive me and, and we get tentative and we have no confidence. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about confidence. Can we be confident in God's word? Yes or no? Can we be confident in his promise? Is he really able? The problem is, is if we're not excited about our Christianity because we're in doubt, we're not keeping ourselves in the love of God, we can't share it with other people. Brethren, I don't usually do sermons. I don't get up here and preach sermons that I get offline. Now, there's the, you want to preach a quick sermon, grab something offline. You know why I can't do that? I'm not excited about a lot of sermons that other people have come up with. I'm not excited. Same thing that excites me doesn't excite them. If I'm going to get up here and preach something, it's got to be something I'm passionate about. I've got to be excited about it. And I'm telling you right now, if we're not excited and passionate about sharing Jesus, because we're not keeping ourselves in the love of God, if we're not totally focused on what that means to each one of us every day, our, our, our reaching out to them is not going to have any power. Not going to have any power. If I tell you about something that bores me stiff, that just makes me just, I'd rather watch grass grow and cars rust, I'm not going to instill a great passion in you for doing it. Right? But if I'm on fire about something, if there's, let me tell you about my granddaughter. I can get fired up about that. I can make you love her just by talking about her. I'm fired up about her. It's the way we need to be with Jesus. Keeping ourselves in the holy faith and, and praying and keeping ourselves in the love of God and knowing what that means, we can't help but share him. And then it goes on to say, and on some have compassion, flowing out of verses 20 and 21, on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Isn't it interesting that right after he says what he does in verses 20 and 21, he launches into evangelism. Huh. You suppose there's a plan there? Then he says this. He said, this is how you get ready. This is how you evangelize, verse 22. And oh, by the way, here's what God's going to do when you go save those people. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. You see, verse 24 has a lot to do 
with keeping ourselves in the love of God, when we realize God's able to keep me from stumbling, I love that. This week when I go out, I'm telling you what. Doesn't it make you, doesn't it make you just excited to know that you have a God who can keep you from stumbling, who will present you faultless before the throne of God because of his blood? Doesn't that, doesn't that excite you as you leave this building to go out into the world of sin this morning? into that battle, doesn't it excite you to know that you have a Savior who's going to cleanse your sin, stand by your side, and keep you faultless to stand before the throne on Judgment Day? Doesn't that excite you? Well, go tell somebody. That's his message. In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, and no, please don't turn there because Jude was the last one. God promised victory to the Israelites. He sent them in, sent spies out, spent, sent 12 spies. 10 of them came back, said, yeah, it's great, but we can't do this. Two of them came back, Joshua and Caleb, and said, oh, yeah, we can. God said we could. We can go do this. This week, as we seek to go out into our week, into which camp will we fall? Will we fall into the Joshua and Caleb camp that says, God is able to give me this victory? Or will we fall into the 10 spies camp that says, no, God is not able. If I talk to this person about Jesus, God is not able to give me the victory, so I'm not going to. Are we going to fall into that other 10 spies camp that says, no, I know God is great and awesome, and I've seen what he's done before in my life, like they knew what he'd done with Pharaoh, but, but I just don't dare to speak to this person about God because they might not like me, or they might cut me out of their social circle, or they might defriend me on Facebook, and I can't have that, so I'll just keep quiet because God is not able to give me the victory. God is not able to keep me content and happy even if I lose this friend because I try to save their soul. God's not able to, so I'll just... Into which camp do we fall? Brethren, we have the greatest message in the world. Let's get excited and go tell somebody what a great God we have. The answer to the question will come in the form of our actions and the substance of our conversations as we encounter those not in Christ this week. Remember one thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember, no matter how hostile the resistance in any situation you face this next week, no matter how powerful their influence, no matter how hot the fire of somebody's anger or indignation, that our God is able to deliver thee. You lose that, you lose everything. If you would become a child of God this morning, we're going to sing that very song. If you need the prayers of the faith to be a stronger child of God this morning, come to the front. It's not that far. I do it every Sunday. We'll pray for you, won't we, church? Will we pray for somebody who needs prayers of the church to be, to be stronger? Will we do it after we leave the building? Will we do it today? If you need prayers to be a stronger Christian, to get out there and tell somebody about Jesus because you love him so much, or you'd be baptized into Christ because you want to make him Lord of your life and follow him. Either way, come down front right now while we stand and sing this song. He is able.